Are you taking ownership in your part of your business or relationship? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, here's the question. You serious? How are we dark horses? You know, the ones everyone is betting against, the ones they don't expect to win, place, or even show on the track, and they'll even laugh on us when we talk about trying. How do we show the world our greatness and triumph? Come on. Well, that's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. This is The Dark Horse Entrepreneur. Oh, yeah. My name is Tracy Brinkman. Push it up. What is up? What is up? What is up, my Dark Horse friends and family? Welcome back to your weekly dose of relationship accountability learning. I'm your Dark Horse host, Tracy Brinkman, and you, well, that, my friend, is infinitely more important. You are a driven entrepreneur or business owner or perhaps hoping to be one very soon. Either way, you're here because you're ready to start, restart, kickstart, and just start leveling up with some great marketing, personal, or business tips and results in order to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. And that's why I'm here hitting you today with another big episode. Today, Rebecca Mahan shares about having a backup plan, making a process better to the point of getting 97% success rates, stepping into your differences, knowing your reactions in relationships, and so much more. Plus, I want to give you a little teaser to next week's interview episode guest, who was the man behind the world's most famous shark movie. That's my humble opinion anyway. As per usual, the Dark Horse Corrals are chock full of personal business and marketing G-O-L-D spilling from every corner of the Dark Horse Entrepreneur HQ. So let's get to the starting gates and go. All right, my Dark Horse friends and family, as I mentioned, today's guest is Rebecca Mayhan. Now, Rebecca is a publicist, a TVC, TV and radio show host. She's the producer of Rebecca Sounds Reveille, and she's the co-host of At TVO Campfire. She was a former United States Marine veteran. Well, she actually is a United States Marine veteran. She's a retired police officer. She's an expert in overcoming domestic violence and other traumas, and also the author of the book called Vote. V-O-T-E, Victims Overcoming Traumatic Events. Rebecca is also an independent business owner in direct selling companies with a mission to empower owners through her well-rounded and personal and professional experience. All righty, Rebecca, welcome to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur. How are you doing tonight? I am doing fabulous. How are you? Man, I am three shades of wonderful. Thank you for asking. <laughs> but it, as I was just telling you a little bit ago, one of the first things I prefer folks to do or just love folks to do is, is tell their story. You know, that good, the bad, the ugly, the ups, the downs, the rights and lefts that brought you to where you are today and, and why you love doing what you do so much. Oh, my goodness. Have I, I know, right? <laughs> Have I got a story for you? Ooh, hit me. So I'm going to go back to the nineties a little bit. And I was, uh, I have prior law enforcement experience as a police explorer, but I set myself up to be able to do both sales or law enforcement, depending on how life went. And you always got to have a backup plan. This is always important. Make yourself with the experience so that you can always have work or always have a hobby or whatever the, the case mm -hmm. may be. So long and short of it is I ended up enlisting in the Marine Corps after high school. I went reserve, got activated for Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and came back and did 
loss prevention for about five years. And then I did sales for quite a while and the company laid me off and I pursued later on my desire to go back into law enforcement. That was my original goal. So I ended up um, between all of this time, I had done a lot of research on domestic violence, Mm. traumas and things like that. And, and then I also had been empowering women to have their own businesses and just have sales excel. So I ended up putting myself through the police academy. And during my domestic violence class, this light bulb just went off, went just off in my head. And I said, I know how to resolve this problem or at least reduce it. So I had this whole plan going, but I hadn't been hired with an agency yet. And so I ended up getting hired with Sutter County Sheriff's Department. And they said, at one point, you have to have a community-oriented policing program. You have to have a cops project. So I said, okay, I know what I want to do. And so I went back, packaged it up, delivered it, made sure that it was going to get go up the chain and get approval. And they said, okay, well, let's try it out for a year, see what happens. Mm-hmm. So 97% of the households we didn't go back to. And so lots of lives were being saved from this. Kids were feeling protected, lots of benefits from this. And there was a seven-year that I know of statistic on it, 95% of the and above houses to go back to. I have to interrupt you right there because you grazed right over that like it was no big deal. Everybody hit your rewind button there for a quick second and go back like 10 seconds. She said, correct me if I'm wrong, a 97% of the households you did not have to go back to. That's huge, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, I, I don't want you to graze it. That's a pat on my back moment right there. <laughs> yeah, it's so exciting because, I mean, that's the, one of the most dangerous calls for an officer to go on because of how volatile it is. Mm-hmm. And it, people's rights are being taken away. And then there's a loss of control. And so this it's a whole thing. And yeah, it, I mean, this this is it. So, um, so the numbers were really good that... It, people were getting assistance and protection and even aggressors were welcoming the, the help that they were getting through the program. So it was a win, like a million times win, five times, 10 times win, big, big, big deal. So later on, I decided that this needs to be in the hands of every law enforcement agency so that they can really impact their community in a positive way, reduce any type of officer injuries and, and reduce victimization, as well as enhance the resources that people need to have healthier lives. Mm-hmm. So. Ah, if you show me a card here, it says vote victims overcoming, was it traumatic events? Yes. Oh, so. Wow. So this is a how-to book for those who respond to domestic violence, whether it's law enforcement, some other first responder line of uh, support there, or a friend who knows someone. Mm-hmm. This is all of the ways um, in a very methodical math. Well, <laughs> duh, <laughs> in a methodical way to really assist somebody in overcoming the challenges or barriers that have kept them where they're at. And so the other thing is it's got a template in the back so that law enforcement can keep track of that and then be able to utilize that later as an expert witness Mm. because Mm. of the, because of the experience that they're gaining. Sure. So how I got where I am at from there is 
after I wrote the book, I started doing interviews and found that I really loved being able to do at that time radio and share the message in depth with listeners that could actually take the tools and change their life from everything that I was doing. So I decided to find a way to do it from home. And I Mm. did. Podcasting. (laughs) I know. So uh, fast forward, it went from at home radio show to then doing an online TV show and converting those, the audio portion into podcast. So um, that is what I've been doing for almost 10 years now. And I eventually retired from law enforcement. And so this is my passion. This is sweet. So there's, there's a lot to unpack in there and this is really cool. I need to back (laughs) up completely differently for, for a brief moment. Um, because as you were telling your story, I was noticing a trend that's not good or bad. It just is what it is. You, my friend, Rebecca, um, have inserted yourself into a number of, dare I just go ahead and say it, manly environments, right? Yeah. You joined the Marines. Hello. Little, just a little bit manly. I'm just going to say it. Then you cruise into uh, the police academy again. Uh, I know there's a lot of ladies out there and God love you, but it's a very manly populated arena. Is that just something you were compelled to do? Or is just like, look, this is me. If there's guys there, whatever. I mean, a lot of ladies I think would be not intimidated, but afraid to step into that arena because of all the testosterone. Okay. Oh, here it comes. Hit me. Here, here it comes. You're going to kind of crack up at this because we got to go way back. This is going to totally tell my age, but somewhere in the neighborhood of six or seven, I knew that I needed to go into law enforcement Mm -hmm. and I was sort of patrolling the neighborhood on my bicycle. And at 10, I'm going up to the local sheriff's department and the desk sergeant is totally appeasing me by giving me a little badge sticker that I could wear and patrol the strip mall and make sure nobody's parking in the handicapped spots. So that's like 10 or 11. And then from there, I find out that through the Boy Scouts, there's a program and, you know, you can't be a girl Boy Scout. Right. (laughs) Not back then anyway, right? (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Not then. So, um, so I find out through that program, there's something called police explorers. And Mm -hmm. so when you hit 13 and a half, you can get on an agency and they will put you through sort of a junior police academy, and then they will let you go on patrol with officers, you direct traffic, you can do all kinds of stuff. Sweet. Well, this just, just made me so happy. You're so like, I oh. start, <laughs> yes, I was like, there's an aha moment there. You're right. Yeah. I'm like, I know there's something for me here. So about 13, I start calling the local police department and they're like, you, we can't. We can't have you. You have to be older. And so I start war dialing them. So like all the time, I'm like, so when is there a possibility for me to get in? I mean, there's just got to be some way we got to go around this. I mean, something they said, there's a police academy coming up, an Explorer Academy coming up. You have to be 13 and a half. So around March, you, you know, so I was like, all right, I'm, in. I, I'm doing this. I'm in. Yeah. So I go and I do that and challenge myself. And then I'm doing ride alongs. Like, as often as they would let me do it. How and fun. I, yeah, I mean, you just, 
how many when you're when you're 13 years old yeah. and you're riding cold three at 100 miles an hour down the road you're thinking how awesome it's been now whereabouts in the united i'm assuming you're in the united states but whereabouts were you when you were doing these ride-alongs san gabriel san gabriel san california gabriel police department yeah san okay. gabriel california okay. yeah. yeah yeah i lived in southern california about that time so i know exactly what you're talking about oh perfect yeah so that i mean that was a great agency for me to really get my foot in the door and get going and learn how much I had a passion for that. And the whole reason I enlisted in the Marine Corps and I enlisted as a reservist was specifically because I thought as soon as I hit 21, I want to be on the streets. I want to be an officer, but it didn't work out that way. Mm -hmm. Life had a whole different route for me to go. And so it wasn't until a little bit later in life that I actually was able to go ahead and get myself in the academy and move along. But Going back to your question about it being a man's field mm-hmm. and women and all the testosterone and stuff, my my whole focus was knowing that, and especially during that time, that era, it was a little bit more difficult being a female in the man's world. Right. So I needed to be accustomed and acclimated to what was going on in their field. It wasn't an expectation that me needed to change because I was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's how I got through it. Nice. Nice. And well, my own uh, way. And you know what? And that's the same thing they do. I was in the military myself. My dad was 23 years military veteran, retired from the United States Army. I joined right out of the out of high school, uh, served six years. I got out right before Desert Storm. Don't say that too loud because we just dated ourselves. Just I know. I'm, I'm just saying, but um, so I know exactly the era you're talking about a little different, you know, and, but for me, uh, it didn't matter whether you're a guy, gal, whatever. You just had to pull your own weight, period. Yeah. If you pulled your own weight, you and I, we were good. Yes. yes. Even if you were, especially if you were a guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there would be some men that like and when it came time to our you know pfts our physical fitness tests mm-hmm. and some were just kind of a little bit like i had great endurance i couldn't run fast but if you asked me to run five miles i could do it non-stop yeah just be at a snail's pace sure. but i would make it and i would make all the times and stuff like that but there would be men that would be falling a little bit short and I would ro- circle around. Come on, let's go, let's, let's go. go, let's go, let's do this together. It's awesome. Yeah. And so, and I would expect that if there was a weak part of what I couldn't do that they could, but it wasn't about that for me. The part that would bother me is if you had somebody that wasn't and everybody was pulling slack for them because mm. in boot camp, there, I mean, there's, there's stories about what happens in there if you're not pulling your own weight. There are quite a few stories and uh, <laughs> you know? yeah, I'm not sure we want to share those here, but I'm just saying they, they're there. Yeah. Yeah. Wink, <laughs> wink, nudge, nudge. Some of the things you've seen in movies probably actually happened. Right. I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm not saying I witnessed it. Uh, anyway, you know, it wasn't I mean. a part of it. I yeah, just right. It. Yeah. You, you know, know, but uh, yeah, I actually shared some of those <laughs> stories with my wife on a few occasions and, you know, it's kind of sad that they happened, but they, Hey, you know what? They happened anyway. So it's cool. You, you bucked up. You, I want to say you manned up because, you know, obviously you, 
Anyway, I woman up. <laughs> you womaned up. I'm Look. curious though. What was your what was your um, well in the in the army they called it MOS your military occupation right What was your MOS when you were in the Marines? I was what's called and so this could be foreign to a lot of people 35 31 35 21 which is motor vehicle operator. Okay, I was I was a truck driver and also okay. a mechanic. Oh, now see another man's field. I know. I say that one of the uh, one of my best friends, and I'm still uh, good friends with her to this day. Uh, she still lives out in Southern California. She was a gearhead way back in the '80s, right when we all, we all graduated from high school. The early '80s. I graduated '81. Uh, she graduated two years ahead of me. She was. You put her under the, she had a GTO goat, right? A 69 goat oh. she had that she pretty much rebuilt, right? Um, and she, I believe, I'm not mistaken, the last time I chatted with her, she still has that car to this day, right? It's, wow. It's the, the classic cherry red in the whole nine yards. But anyway, she ended up, um, most of her career, she was a mechanic for the Los Angeles County Transportation Department. So she's out there working on wow. those big old diesel engines. And you want to talk about someone pulling their weight. She don't play no games. You're now listening to-, to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur Podcast. Right? She's one of those folks, just like one of the guys, you know. Hey, you get up here, you do your work. Otherwise, get out of my way, right? So, yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm more power to you. All right. So. Okay, wait. Go ahead. Con- in contrast. Okay. I was, are you ready for this? Yeah, hit me. All right, here it comes. I was a district sales manager, corporate for Avon products <laughs> for six years. You got to balance it out, right? You got you 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 to balance you it out. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. How about that? I love it. Anyway. All right. So I, I am curious though, what led you towards the domestic violence angle of things. I, I'm hoping it wasn't some experience you had in your life, but often I find that is the case. A number of folks I've had on the show have shared some pretty traumatic times they've had where they were the victim of just what you're talking about. These police officers would be called to, but what, what kind of led you down that path? Well, I, you know, we can only be accountable for the things that we do. So True. in relationships that, didn't work for me. I was looking at what was my role in this and how could I not be involved with that? Was it something that I said that might, you know, have caused something that didn't work out the way that I wanted it to work out or that I just needed to really learn about me. And I, Mm. I mean, I came from a guy's world with all of these different things that I did. So I really needed to learn about me. And the more that I learned about through self-help and stuff like that, I learned a lot about people and women and relationships and men and all of the interactions together and things that people don't think about in relationships. And I found it quite fascinating. Hmm. So I took stuff from my own unhealthy parts of, um, relationships, whether it was, whatever it was, whatever kind of relationship it was. And I will tell you when you come out of the Marine Corps, you are not, I'm not, you are so focused that you can just adapt and overcome at anything and nothing gets in your way. And this is the way it has to be. And everything's black and white. And so, I mean, my contribution to relationships in general, just, I, I feel that I have to take ownership of that. Sure. And so I did. 
And as I did do those things and I would come alongside other people and hear things that they were going on, that were going on in their world, which just really captivated my attention even more because it's like, is it, isn't there somewhere that we can learn how to develop healthy relationships at an early age? Cause mm-hmm. we learn math, we learn cursive. Well, I don't know if we're learning that anymore, but we're not, <laughs> you we're know, not. <laughs> I mean, but we have things that we're taught from an early age. And one of the most basic things, no matter what industry or profession you go in is building a healthy relationship mm-hmm. with employees, with employers, with coworkers, and then your own family on top of that. Yeah. So what I found was there's a common denominator in how to be healthy and have all of it affect every, every, every relationship in every area of your life. And when I was able to put this into practice and it got the results it did just blew my mind. Okay, now you just tease this common denominator in relationships. Now you you got it. You got to you got to pull back the cover a little bit. You got to let me know it. What is the common denominator in these healthy relationships? So everybody is wired a certain way. It doesn't matter what culture you come from. We're all wired a certain way. Mm-hmm. Environment has a huge impact on how we respond to trauma. But whatever way you respond to trauma, you are going to be consistent on that in every area of your life. Mm. Cause that's what, you know, I mean, when we react out of fear or frustration, if our, if we're tensing up, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. If we happen to speak back and we have to talk really loud because that's how we get our frustrations that yeah. that's what we do, but we respond the exact same way in most every situation, sometimes we will minimize it depending on if we're in a public location, if sure. we're standing in front of our employer, but it's still there. That reaction, that immediate reaction, even if you have to try to restrain it, that's there. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. That, that volume knob might get adjusted, but the reaction is still the same. That's what I heard you say. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now, would you agree and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that usually this reaction is a learned reaction from how you see, let's say your mom or your dad or whoever you resonated with early in life, you, you kind of mimic their reactions because that's how you learned a lot of your, uh, your habits, good, bad, or ugly is from those who, who taught you growing up, right? hundred percent. That is hit the, take the nail, hit the hammer right there. Here's how I, how I'm going to define it. Mm-hmm. And you're going to love this because you'll see the correlation in my life, your, (laughs) your childhood and whatever environment that you're in, whether it's same sex couple, whether it's mom and dad, whether you're with grandma, whatever it is, that is your boot camp Mm -hmm. on a relationship. That is where you're learning everything that you are going to put into place when it comes to a relationship of your own. And if there's two parties and one happens to be a victim and one happens to be an aggressor, Mm -hmm. you're going to identify with one of those. And then those behaviors will be the things that you emulate later on. Yeah. That's, that's the only response, you know? Yeah. You're, you're so right. It's funny you you say it like that because 
Um, you know, we all go through our, our ups and downs, right? We have the, the roller coaster of life, as I like to refer to it. And we have those major dips. You know, I've had three, I call them three major dips in my life. And when I say majors, it's like bad stuff, just caca hitting the, hitting the wall kind of stuff. Right. Um, and for me, it was learning to turn around and look that ugliness dead in the face and figure out what the hell can I learn from this? And until I did that, and it was a skill I had to learn as an adult because, and this is all hindsight, right? Um, I look back at my parents in my early formative years and into my teen years. I didn't, I don't ever remember seeing them do that. Doesn't mean they didn't do it. If they did do it, they did it behind the doors where I couldn't see them do it. So Mm -hmm. I couldn't learn that they did that. I mean, I didn't see my dad cry. And again, we're talking about a couple of different era folks here, right? Uh, I didn't see my dad cry and uh, until I was in my mid to late 20s. And it was because his mom died. And even though I walked in and saw him crying as he was sharing the news with uh, uh, my mom that his mom had passed away, he started, you know, really quick, you know, drying his face and sitting up. And it was like real calm. Uh, I have some bad news I need to share with you, you know, and then he shares with me the news that grandma had passed away. And of course, I started crying right away. But it was just that that split moment where I finally saw him feeling something that wasn't, you know, I mean, he was the cliche, you know, uh, first sergeant in the military. I mean, when I say he was a first sergeant in the military, that picture you get, it's probably exactly what my dad was. So, you know, wow. it, it, being able to share those emotions with your family. Uh, of course, you got, like you said, like we were talking about earlier, you got to dial the volume up or down, right? But still, I think we should share those thoughts, those emotions, those angers, those happiness, right? So that our kids and our other, uh, our employees, our loved ones, our, uh, our seniors can see that, you know what? He knows how to deal with his shit. I just know no other way to say it. Does that make sense? It it absolutely does. And if I were going to go one step further, please, if someone wanted to say, I really need to get a handle on what's going on here. I just don't know how. Mm. So what I would say is if your situation isn't something that you would recommend to somebody else, Mm -hmm. it's time to take some quiet time or yourself. Cause this is often what we don't do. We do for everybody else, but we don't do for ourselves. We put everybody else first and we have to think about ourselves in the airplane, that oxygen mask that comes down and now we're going to be able to help everybody. Mm -hmm. So take some quiet time and think about what thoughts are going through your mind. So when I say that, I mean, what specific sentences do you hear yourself saying to you? And if those things are not healthy, and I don't like using the words bad or good, because really we can go from healthy to unhealthy or unhealthy to healthy. We tend to be able to minimize the, the negativity as far as self-esteem and pushing that down. So if I can think about that was really an unhealthy statement. I said to myself, how can I sort of rephrase that and turn it into something healthy? 
Because if you take those statements, would you say those to your children? Would you say those to somebody you love? And if you wouldn't, you shouldn't be saying them to yourselves. And that, that is the first thing is to get in your own head. And as you're doing that, those thoughts come out through your mouth and they begin to empower you to make changes. Mm -hmm. It will happen automatically, but that's the first step. That's the magic step. It's like there's a song and I, I keep forgetting the name of it, but there's a lyric in the song where it says, I speak to myself a way I would never speak to my best friend. Right. And, and if those are going on, like you're saying, yes. that's it's time to take that sentence, whatever it was, uh, and reframe it, rephrase it. So it becomes a more empowering statement. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay, I know what I have to be mindful of your time because you have some things going on and I don't want to uh, bump you up into anything else. But if there was any last magic that you want to share with anybody, uh, let's get that out. I want to I share all your goodness. And then after you share that magic, let them know where they can get a hold of you because I want to make sure to get those links down in the show notes so they can click right in there. Oh, thank you so much. I just want to say you are valued more than you will ever understand the value of yourself. There are so many people that rely on you just for your friendship and your wisdom. Don't let fear hold you back. Mm. If you're afraid to make a change and oftentimes we only want to admit to being fearful, but if change isn't happening and you're not making healthy strides, that means there's fear involved. And I can tell you more about that. You can click on uh, facebook.com forward slash Rebecca's L Mahan. You can find me on Instagram at Copper Heels. LinkedIn is a great place. And I really love to empower people. And I don't do it for monetary purposes. If somebody is in a situation and they want to reach out and find out what they can do to make their life better, they can email me at Rebecca Mahan at publicist.com and I will call you and talk with you and tell you all of the things that you have as far as options or resources that can make your life better. Oh, 100%. Rebecca, I definitely, this has been money. This is fire. Change isn't happening. There's definitely fear involved. I love that. Again, we're going to make sure we get all those links down in the show notes so people can just uh, click right over there and check you out or email you and learn about those resources. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us tonight. Uh, let's stay in contact. I want to do this again and see what you're up to in a, you know, five, six, seven months or so. And who knows what new magic you can, what new fire you can bring to the, bring to the show. I would so love that. Thank you so <laughs> much right. for having me and to your audience. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope that something will help make your life a little bit more of a, or a larger smile than what you've got right now. Oh, I'm sure it will. All right, there you have it, my dark horse friends and family. Rebecca Mahan dropping some bombs on his relationship bombs, backup plan bombs, making processes better bombs. What thoughts resonated with you? Let me share some ones that I thought kind of kicked out. Thought number one, have a backup plan. Rebecca came right out swinging with her advice to always have a backup plan. Remember? Remember she was talking about setting herself up so that she could either go into sales or into police work, depending on how life played out, right? Now, there are two schools of thought that comes here uh, that I've had with uh, fellow entrepreneurs and discussions therein. One school of thought is burn the boats, right? 
Here, you decide to what entrepreneurial island you're going to set your path on, and when you get there, you burn the boats. In other words, you have to succeed because there is no going back. For many, this stokes that fire in their belly. You can remember way back, uh, I can remember what episode it was, but Zach Babcock talked about jumping off the cliff and growing wings on the way down. There are those out there that just, that's how they have to do it. For others, it conjures up a four-letter word. Yeah, fear. For those of you that are not burn-the-boat types of entrepreneurs, then Rebecca's path of having a backup plan is one you should listen to. And if you think about it, there are a number of factors that play very positively here. First and foremost, there's a safety net, just in case of that failure, right? Uh, I think another one is you can diversify your income opportunities with your backup plan, right? Perhaps you got that nine to five cubicle thing going on, right? You're going to keep that income opportunity going as you build up your new entrepreneurial island journey. Here's another one I, I've seen. I, I, those folks that have backup plans tend to work both sides, right? So when they're working their entrepreneurial path, they're out there networking with those that can, they can help as well as who can help them. Uh, when they're also think, keeping in mind their backup plan, they're also out, we're out there networking with those folks as well. So it opens up a whole new world of opportunities here. I mean, there are so many great reasons to be doing this and having a backup plan that uh, I'm actually going to chat about it some more in the next episode, in episode 315. Are entrepreneurs risk takers or do they have backup plans? Thought number two, make a process better. Rebecca shared how she mapped out and created a COPS plan, and once it was accepted and implemented out in the field, 97% of the homes visited and impacted by this process did not have a return call from law enforcement. 97%. That, ladies and gentlemen, is huge. That's why I had to pause her and make sure she didn't just gloss over that. Imagine if you were trying to improve some process in your life or in your business and you were able to see a 97% success rate via your idea. Yeah, right? <laughs> I know, a little smile stretches across your face. Wow, that would be amazing. Now, some of you may be thinking, yeah, or there's many out there that are thinking like, well, it's already working. I don't want to make it worse. Well, don't you want to make it better? I mean, here, here you go. Do you want seven quick steps that you can use to uh, improve a process, right? A, a quick seven-step process improvement tactic. Okay, here we go. Get out your note-taking devices, whether it's old school pencil and pen or your notepad, your iPad, your phone. Here we go. Number one, choose a process to improve. <laughs> Number two, map out the current process. Number three, identify the bottlenecks in areas for improvement, right? As you map it out, you're going to start seeing these little areas. You're like, man, here's a problem area. Here's a challenge right here. And it could be a people problem. It could be a systems problem. It could be any of uh, the area. It could be a marketing problem, right? Then you're going to map out a potential new process 
for those problematic areas, for those bottlenecks, for those areas of improvement, and how they all fit together. Then, you're going to test the process and revise. Then, you're going to implement the new process. And finally, and this is where I think a lot of people do mess up, you're going to review that new process against the legacy process to make sure it's still outperforming it. Yeah? Boom. There you go. Seven steps to improving your process. Thought number three. Step into your differences. Now, I mentioned to Rebecca that I had noticed a trend in her path, a trend of her stepping into an arena where she was different than the norm in that arena. Rebecca was, and and you should too, be willing to step into your differences, like she stepped into her differences. Remember how she explained how back when she was at a very young age, she always knew she wanted to be in law enforcement, even though she would have been different than most of those that she would have been serving with. Now we're talking 40 some years ago, right? Things, sadly, uh, they were viewed a little different then. And here's the question I offer you on this. Is it a bad thing to stand out from your peers? I don't think it is, right? Often this, ladies and gentlemen, is how the status quo needle gets moved. I really want to dig into this one a bit more, and I'm going to do that in episode 316. Your entrepreneurial differences are your strengths. Thought number four, know your reactions in relationships. Rebecca noted that we need to recognize and know our reactions in our relationships. Look back at how you react to intense and uncomfortable situations in the more extreme cases, and those are probably a really good indicator on how you're reacting in your more day-to-day relationships, be they business or personal. I want to drop in some additional thoughts here to, to really build on that. Let's call these, I don't know, five keys to success in your relationships, be they business as or, or personal. They work on both of these. Number one, know your patterns. Whether we are talking about that love of your life, your worst client, or that next big prospect, you will have patterns. You need to recognize them. I mean, think about it. Do you overcommit? Do you have an issue with, I don't know, asking for help? Can you easily admit when you're wrong? Hmm? Maybe that's one somebody giving a podcast has, right? Do you ignore your relationships except on those special days or worse yet when you need something? Yeah. Know your patterns. Number two, know your triggers. Yeah. Because right past your patterns are those areas of irritation that impact the very dynamic of your relationship, even if it's just impacting you internally. I mean, if you have a pattern of not being able to ask for help, That might be compounded by a trigger of when someone keeps asking you for help. Yeah, think about it. Number three, master your emotions. I know, I know. (laughs) That's easier said than done, Tracy. I get it. But you need to try. Trust me, I, my friends, am a perfect example of the work in progress on this one here. You need to create as large a gap as possible between your trigger 
And the moment you react, the moment you choose to react, the larger the gap, the better. For it's inside this gap that you're going to be inserting a little less emotion and perhaps a little more logic versus just instantly responding and later regretting the words that maybe you spoke or wrote in response to some post. Number four, have boundaries within reason. Now, we should all have boundaries and expect them to be respected by those within our, our sphere of influence. However, there are times when a little reasonable flexibility in your boundaries could be better served than not. Now, don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying let people trample on your boundaries. I'm just saying that having a softer attitude in response versus this is the way it's going to be attitude might be better served for you and your partner. And lastly, number five, do relationship specific healing. Look, here's the thing. If you do not try to mend the fence of your relationship, then please do not be surprised when the next wind of life or business comes along and blows that sucker down. Hmm? I, heck, I could spend a whole episode on just these five tips right here. And if you'd like me to, let me know. All right? I'll be happy to do it. All right, my Dark Horse friends and family, what inspiring ideas, tips, or thoughts resonated with you? Huh? Whatever they were. Please take some time right now or as soon as possible and write them down. Then put them in action. That's right. Get out there, run your race, get your results, and then come back and let me hear about them. Seriously, Tracy at DarkHorseSchooling.com. Email me there. Share the tips or ideas that you came away with, how you put them in action, and what results you gain from them. Heck, I'll probably bring you on the show and let you share your amazing story. All right. Whew. We are rocking it. We're going to continue rocking it next week because in our next interview episode, our guest is Carl Gottlieb. Now, Carl is an American screenwriter, an actor, a comedian, and executive. However, Carl is probably net best known for co-writing the screenplay for Jaws, as well as its first two sequels and also directing the 1991 film Caveman. Now, I know you want to keep getting all the valuable tips and um, inspirational stories from the these guests I'm lucky enough to bring on this show. So please go on down there, hit that subscribe button while you're there. If you're good, leave us a five-star rating. Write some kind words in the reviews. Write some constructive criticism. I'm open to it. Ask some questions. I read every single one of those reviews and will happily answer them here on the show. And of course, do not keep all this entrepreneurial G-O-L-D all to yourself. Share this podcast with other entrepreneurs and businesses that you know will get value from it. And with that, I'm going to leave you as I always do. Think successfully and take action. Thank you for listening to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out at www.darkhorseschooling.com. All right. My name is Tracy Brinkman.